0: Dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I'm here with a guest, uh, Conley Owens. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. My name's Conley Owens. I'm a pastor at Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church. I'm the husband of one wife and the father of seven kids, soon to be eight kids. Yeah, and I live here in uh, Sunnyvale, California.
0: Wonderful. Well, so glad to have you on the show, and uh, we're discussing your book, The Dorian Principle, if I'm saying that right. Yeah, that sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) It it works for the American ear, I guess, right? right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I usually say Dorian, but a lot of people say Dorian. Neither of those is exactly how you'd pronounce it if you were in a Greek class, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bad marks either way for us. so tell tell uh, the listeners kind of the, what's the big idea of your book? What are you trying to get across to the reader?
1: Yeah, so Dorian is the uh, Greek adverb that means freely. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you receive, freely give. And then right after that in Matthew 10, 9 through 10, he says the worker's worthy of his food. So it's a book about how we should think about money and ministry, given that Jesus says in one verse, uh, don't receive pay, and then the very next ver- verse, do receive pay. <laughs> so, what what kind of pay is not allowed, and what kind of pay is allowed? Uh, and the answer, the distinction that Jesus is making, is one between reciprocity, where the gospel is being exchanged for money, which he's forbidding, and then co-labor, where uh, others are are coming alongside the minister in order to support the work of ministry. So, as uh, God is sending out laborers into the harvest, in that context of Matthew ten. Uh, he is the Lord of the harvest. So if you think about, well, the worker's worthy of his wages, who's the employer that's supposed to pay those wages? Well, in context, the employer's already been stated, it's the Lord. So to think of uh, people receiving the gospel as being customers who have to pay the wages is to to miss the metaphor that's already been made there.
0: So the this idea of co-labor versus reciprocity you want to define a little bit what you mean by co-labor? Because I remember in the book, there wasn't like a, I think you even mentioned that there wasn't like a precise word for exactly what this means, but you were going to use co-labor just to get the point across. What What is right. kind of the import of that word co-labor
1: to you? Right. Yeah. So in the book, I use the word co-labor without a hyphen, which the real u- word um, actually has a hyphen. So that's kind of my way of saying, you know, when I say this, I kind of mean it my own special way. But the, yeah, the definition of co-labor is basically uh, support given to a minister out of uh, an indirect sense of obligation, uh, an obligation that's primarily to the Lord rather than primarily to the minister. Whereas reciprocity, one that's given out of a direct sense to the minister. And so, uh, a good analogy for this is the analogy that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians nine, where he talks about the priests. Right, the priests are supposed to receive of the altar. Uh, they're supposed to be supported. This is where he's arguing for, for uh, the kind of support the ministers are supposed to get, and yet at the same time explaining why he's not receiving the particular funds the Corinthians are giving him. And uh, so, if you think about how the Levites received from the altar, uh, well, yes, the Israelites had a sort of obligation to the Levites, and they uh, they supplied them, but. They were supplied ultimately from the Lord uh, as the sacrifices that were made to the Lord, the offerings, the tithes that were made to the Lord were then given to the Levites. So it's an indirect obligation, right? The people are primarily obligated to the Lord and then secondarily or um, uh, indirectly obligated to the Levites. So they weren't giving to the Levites directly. They were giving indirectly to the Levites as they made their sacrifices and offerings. And by indirectly, I don't mean that, you know, there was like a... Uh, uh, physical intermediary, or some people have taken me to say that, well, uh, only the church should be collecting charity, and then it should be doing all the charity work afterward with that money. Um, That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that uh, conceptually, uh, one who gives as co-labor is giving out of shared service to the Lord rather than giving back to someone who did something for them as though that person were a free agent and the source of the gospel.
0: So how much of that work of co-labor is an internal motivation and how much of that is a, sort of an external responsibility uh or uh external response to a message. Do you know what I mean? Could- yeah, are you asking me are you asking me if this is a
1: if this is a very subjective ethic where, you know, <laughs> I as a minister am bound by someone else's heart that I can't see or Right. <laughs> Yeah, so so that is that is one thing that uh, it kind of sounds like I'm saying, which I I don't think I am. That <laughs> what I'm what I'm getting at is, you know, as we as we collect funds as ministers or ministries, we have to do so in a way so that our the the words and gestures of fundraising communicate that we are not the source of the gospel and rather God is, and this is true with pretty much every other uh, Christian ethic regarding. Um, communication, right? It's do your words and gestures. Are, are, you, are you doing due diligence so that they communicate the right thing as best they can? And so our words and gestures of ministry fundraising should be words and gestures that, that point to the Lord as the one who is the source of the gospel and the one that people are obligated to when they receive the gospel, not the minister directly.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense because you don't want to turn the gospel into a product that you're making a bid for or or paying directly for, right? You don't want to be a merchant of the gospel.
1: Right, yeah, the gospel uh, when you pay for something, you're you're making a statement about how much something's worth and so to put a price on the gospel is to value it far too low because it's of infinite worth. So, yeah, that that is one problem. It it's, it's not payment for for the message. Or even payment for the labor, since the the labor is the labor is working for another. Rather, it's service to the Lord, so that He can fulfill His obligation uh, to pay the laborer. And some people find it odd to talk about God being obligated, but you know He obligates Himself by way of covenant. He obligates Himself by way of promises, and as He has promised to uh, care for His own servants, uh, this is how He does it. This is one way that He has stated that He will do it.
0: I'm glad you mentioned covenant because in my reading of the book i i saw that in the background of of pr- practically every chapter right the fact that we know that god god has said and is uh, bound by his word to um, deliver on the free offer of the gospel in, in that the gospel is uh, the power of god unto salvation for those who believe that we can trust god will do that we don't have to we don't have to add to the gospel. We don't have to make it more attractive, but we also don't have to uh, commodify it uh, or, like you said, act as if there is a, a temporal price for hearing the gospel because God is, like you said, covenant-bound to deliver on the free offer of the gospel. Am I am I getting you right on that?
1: Right, yeah, and the promises I was talking about specifically are the, the promises that— uh, where there's the workers worthy of his wages, right? You have the statement that God will supply for his ministers. So, uh, yeah, I'm primarily talking about his, his obligation to them rather than his obligation to the hearer who responds, but, but those are valid points as well.
0: Okay, good. So we've got both sides of that, uh, of that going there then. Um, I had a, actually I found a quote from, uh, Page 48 of your book And I thought maybe I could get you to uh, Expound on it a little bit um, So uh, it it says um, As a servant of God Paul has stewardship over his converts To receive money from them But would abuse that stewardship By receiving payment for a gospel That is not his to sell That seemed when I read that To be a really nice encapsulation At least of how I understood your book
1: Right, right. So the question there is, you know, as people read 1 Corinthians 9 and other passages and they see Paul defending his right to receive uh, money, for the right for someone who lives by the proclamation of the gospel to to live by that gospel, you know, uh, being funded. A lot of people read that and say, okay, well, Paul's making this, this statement about how absolutely broad his permissions are. And then he's saying that because of... Circumstantial reasons, he's going to forego that and kind of go above and beyond what's really required of him, and I think that that misunderstands what Paul is talking about when he's talking about his rights. That he's he's not talking about some kind of absolute uh, right that he has this uh, this broad permission, but rather he's talking about a stewardship he has, a right of stewardship, and it is possible to misuse that stewardship, and. 1 Corinthians 9, I, I don't go this into this in detail in the book, although I did in the thesis that the book is based on. Uh, the way you read 1 Corinthians 9 is really related to the way you read 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, right? Because Paul is talking about in 8 and 10, uh, meat sacrifice to idols. So he stops for a chapter to give an analogy. He said, basically, he says, you know, it's a lot like... Uh, fundraising, and then he and then he goes into this analogy. So if you think that what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, and this is probably the more common interpretation too, if you think that he's saying that, oh, well, it's okay as long as you're not offending anyone, um, you're going to come away from 1 Corinthians 9 saying the same thing too. Oh, you can take money whenever you want as long as you're not offending anyone. However, if you look at chapter 10, where he very directly calls it idolatry and very directly says you can't, uh, sit at the same table as uh, as demons, you realize he's saying, he's giving something that's more absolute. Sure, he's giving uh, contextual reasons in chapter eight, but in chapter 10, he's saying very directly that this is something that's that's not allowed it's so often as you are aware of what you are doing. You know, if, if the other person knows it and you don't, you're not bound by his conscience. But uh, yeah, if you're aware, then you're bound. And so if you understand it that way, then in chapter nine, once again, Paul's not talking about a bare permission, but talking about uh, about something that's a little more certain as far as his ethic. It's not that he's going above and beyond. It's that this is actually required of him that he not take, even though um, in a broader sense, he does have stewardship over funds. Now to make one more connection from there, in chapter 10, uh, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, right? So that like I said, you know, ten and nine are very connected. So he's pretty much saying the same thing in nine that he can he can do this, but it may not be profitable for him. Well, how do we understand these words, lawful and profitable? If you look at chapter six, he talks about he talks about uh, actions being uh, lawful but not profitable. And one of the examples he gives is talking about the body and sex and prostitution. So he he describes prostitution as something that is lawful but not profitable. And if you if you see that and you realize that he's using the word lawful in a way very different from the idea of having this this permissive license, but instead to talk about you know the the lack of condemnation or basically to uh, to play off of the Corinthian statements, the Corinthians um, uh, uh, kind of. I don't know what the right word would be—not antinomium, but something like that. You know, they're uh, <laughs> uh, the Corinthians have made these statements that are a bit off, and he's he's playing off their words. And when you realize he's doing that when he's calling things lawful, and not really saying that they would be okay, uh, you realize that yeah, he's not going above and beyond in chapter nine. He's when he refuses money, it's because he absolutely has to refuse the money.
0: Uh, I'm I'm curious about perhaps how the Corinthian context may play into uh, some of these decisions too. Uh, with with sure. the cult the for instance like the cult prostitution that went on uh in the uh I believe in the in the temples around there uh, where i assume uh you'd be going in there giving money to get attention to get time with with the temple prostitutes i wonder if if paul is especially zealous to draw a contrast between the ministry of christ and the life that they had been formerly living in this uh, sort of libertine fashion. Do you think, how much of that plays a part on top of this uh, principle? Oh yeah,
1: that may. If you're, if you're saying, you know, that Paul is addressing, uh, you know, that kind of uh, licentious behavior by saying that, uh, sure, now that you're in Christ, you know, uh, you can't be condemned on the basis of any of these things at the same time. Uh, that doesn't mean that you ought to go practice sin. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of like what he says in Romans one, <laughs> right? Should I go on sinning so that grace may abound, may it never be?
0: Yeah, we're called to go on and, and live in a different way, one that honors God rather than gratifies our own sin. What are some ways, uh, kind of moving into, into our day now, in the, the intricacies of the evangelical world, what are some... Um, what are some tangible ways that you think and would be willing to discuss that the um, the church or perhaps even the parachurch are um, violating, if that's the right word, uh, this principle? Um, yeah, Maybe ways sure. that are even subtle that we might not even consider in your view.
1: Right, yeah. So this is where it gets controversial. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, if you think about that, that, okay, sure, ministry ought to be supported, it ought to be supported by laborers, but it ought not to be given, you know, the gospel, Christian instruction ought not to be given in exchange for anything. Well, that happens all the time, right? Uh, There are Christian conferences where you can't come unless you pay, and, you know, you're you're supporting the teaching, not just paying for the food. And then there's uh, books and all kinds of things and it's very clear now it used to be the case that the the paper and the teaching were kind of interwoven um and so it wasn't really clear what you're paying for now you know now that there's kindle books and it's really clear that you are just paying for the teaching and not the paper mm-hmm. uh it's very clear that you you are purchasing religious instruction
0: so for instance um th- this is this would be outside the conference context but let's say that Let's say I'm, I'm at a ministry website where the ministry has a bookstore, right, on the website, and I'm paying them to buy certain books from that ministry. And then that, that clears, it, it shows up on my credit card, the, f- the full charge is on there, and the books get shipped to me. How does that square with the principal? Because there's no teaching involved, I'm simply buying resources and then giving on top to this ministry. Does that does sure. that clear it? The fact that there's no actual teaching involved, and I haven't, for instance, bought a uh, a DVD series of a recorded uh, teaching session.
1: Yeah. Well, what kind of books are you buying? Or theology books, like or
0: Theology books. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sure. So yeah, there's a lot of different aspects of that. One is the idea of, and I'm going to change your um, your hypothetical oh. here. Uh, let's free. say someone. Let's say someone says, uh, here you can. Uh, I'll give you this book for free, or, or maybe not for free. If I'll give you book this book for a suggested donation of $5. When when money is involved in that transaction, you know, once again, are you do, doing due diligence with those words and gestures of fundraising to not suggest that you are the source of the gospel, right? When when you're charging money for that thing, or even saying suggested donation in return, you know, reciprocally for that thing, um, yeah, you're imposing an obligation even if it's not an absolute requirement. So, and then, then going beyond that, if it's not optional, right? If it's a requirement that you have to pay me for this teaching, right? Because theology books are teaching, uh, then yeah, that would still violate the principle. Now, someone might say, well, what about the what about the paper? You know, it, it costs money to print these things. I would say, well, yes, it does. And so, you know, if you're charging for the paper, that is not. As bad as charging for the teaching. However, the the way I phrase it in the book is that gospel proclamation, uh, this applies to gospel proclamation and everything that directly attends to gospel proclamation. Now, it's interesting because I recently um, was going back through some of the historical sources I was using, and I'd forgotten that uh, Aquinas describes this very similarly. He says anything that is spiritual or annexed to spiritual things ought not to be charged for. So uh, it, the, the book, you know, the paper book, I would consider something, in Aquinas' words, that's annexed to the gospel. Uh, it, you've, you've put it in a state where, you know, they're, they're coming together, just like Jesus when he sent out the disciples in Matthew ten eight and said, freely you receive, freely give. That was right after saying, heal the sick, raise the dead. You know, it's not like it would have been okay for them to charge for the miracles and then offer the gospel for free. And similarly with Paul, you see him travel around, he refuses food and drink. He doesn't say, well, if you provide my room, if you provide my uh, food, if you provide my ship ticket, then I will preach for you, right? He he not only does not, uh, he does not ask for those things, he won't even accept those things if they are offered. So I think that if we as ministries are going to be offering books uh, and, and producing books, that we should be giving them away for free. Now there's there's a lot of other options for, uh, a ministry that might find that too, um, uh, financially difficult. Although honestly, I don't think it's nearly as financially difficult as most people think it is, but, but let's say it is too financially difficult. The way this used to work prior to the mid 1800s, excuse me, the mid 18th century is that, uh, the printer, you know, the publisher and the author were very, very distinct, right? The authors, this, uh, religious person wants to write something and get the word out. And the publisher is a secular entity that's trying to make a profit. So they find works that they can, uh, they can print and sell. And so, uh, one's operating in a purely secular capacity while the other is operating in a purely religious capacity. Now the, the way that's changed, well, it's changed in a bunch of ways, but one of them is that in the middle of the 18th century, you have, uh, people starting to use copyright. Copyright, uh, didn't exist until 1710 modern copyright law. So it's at that point that authors can start requiring royalties for their works. See, before that authors weren't really getting paid, not directly for having done something, unless they, uh, you know, they could put a dedication at the beginning of the book and maybe that lord or lady would, (laughs) would, uh, offer them a lot of money afterward. But, uh, but yeah, they weren't being paid for for their like work having directly.
0: a patron for for a painter, for instance. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so, so, you know, a, a modern example of that is there's a lot of print on demand services where I can stick my book up on uh, Create Space or Lulu or whatever, and then when someone purchases it, uh, they are just paying for that printer who has who's, you know, the secular entity disinterested in the, in the theology who just prints it on demand. And so they wouldn't be paying me. I would not be involved in this transaction at all. So I think that's one way around, around this issue for those who would think that this is asking too much.
0: I'm going to make a sweeping generalization and, and correct me if, uh, if I'm inaccurate, but it seems to me that it's much simpler to handle uh, issues of ministry funding at the local church level rather than at the parachurch level it seems it seems there's a whole other realm of difficulties when it comes to the risk of selling the gospel uh, at the parachurch level would i would i be wrong in making that statement am i naive right no that's that's pretty
1: much exactly what i say in chapter 12 is that the yeah a lot of people imagine that you know the The church is just full of these things when they start reading it. Well, I guess in a way it is, but uh, what happens in a local church from week to week? There's no problems there. You know, the the people are giving, they're supporting their pastor who's working alongside of them. Uh, You know, they're all fellow servants. Uh, The Bible has instructions on weekly giving, right? And so that's typically how ministry is being fundraised. But when you have a parachurch ministry that doesn't have that weekly fundraising going on, uh, has to get creative. And once you get creative, like you said, it gets complicated and you have a lot more opportunities to violate the Dorian principle.
0: So let's play utopia for a second. Uh, what, what is the, in your mind, uh, down to kind of the last detail, what is your ideal scenario for, uh, for funding, um, ministry both at the um uh, at the local church level even up to the parachurch church level how, how what sure. in, in your in your mind if you were to to create a system like this from top to bottom informed by the the dorian principle how how would you do it what's your vision yeah it'd be
1: pretty much how a lot of things work today you know the church uh the church raises money on a, a weekly basis and it does more partnering with uh with each other and with whatever groups are um are doing ministry. Now, ideally those those groups that are doing ministry would just be churches or the members of churches. <laughs> and so, uh you know, the churches would have no problem uh you know, supplying them. But uh but yeah, if we were to keep some of the larger parachurch organizations existing, then uh yeah, they would be partnering more with churches. I think yeah, I think if the church is doing the fundraising, that that does keep things simpler. I don't I don't think that's necessary. I don't want anyone coming away from this saying that I'm saying that's absolutely necessary because, you know, I think something like uh, Patreon or or whatever that a uh, parachurch entity or uh, a single individual, you know, a podcaster, for example, might use, all those are, are fine ways of co-laboring too. Um, you know, you say on your Patreon, like, if you want to help me, uh, if you want to support me as I get this gospel content out, you know, you can do it this way. Uh, the only difficulty is when you start uh, adding perks to your crowdfunding campaign so that if people donate <laughs> at certain levels, they get access to special things that others don't.
0: Mm-hmm. Or or get shout-outs on your show or that kind of a thing.
1: Right, yeah, all kinds of uh, kickbacks.
0: Yeah, I've noticed there are I've, – I've never subscribed to anyone's Patreon before, and I don't run one, but uh, I've noticed when people kind of give their pitch for, for – uh, going going that way, that there's all sorts of extra benefits if you go to the to the top tier, which is high dollar. Then we we mention your name on every episode, or you know, or every YouTube video, or or whatever. And um, that does kind of seem like the uh, the secular version of kind of an exploitative um, track like that, right? So. Um, just sort of as a um as a summary what's your what would be your encouragement to the listeners when it comes to um, curiosity regarding this principle um, what are some practical ways for the the average christian to to be mindful of this and to um, as, as the average Christian as somebody who's not delivering teaching that may or may not be sold by a parachurch ministry or anything like that just your average layman how can they be? mindful of this principle.
1: Right. So, um, I mean, just thinking about it on a, you know, as they give that's, that's a starter, right. And recognize that, you know, when you give to a church, you're not paying them back for something they do to you. You're working together with your church. Ideally, uh, you're working together with your pastor to make sure the gospel is proclaimed from week to week. So, uh, just having a joy about giving, uh, that's one really big application. Although in other way, it's very minor because it's, uh, you know, there's not a real change that's being asked for other than a mental one. Uh, another one, uh, would just be to, uh, be mindful what kind of resources, uh, you're supporting and buying. I, I don't think that this ethic, uh, restricts or restrains, uh, people from purchasing ministry. Uh, you know, it's funny as I've been, like I said, I've been reviewing some historical sources recently. Most of them, uh, say that very plainly because they were dealing with, uh, simony in uh, like the, uh, laying on of hands primarily they would speak about simony more broadly to talk about selling any spiritual thing but primarily they were concerned about buying uh ordinations and so they would say like oh you can never do this <laughs> you can never bu- purchase uh any spiritual thing i i don't think there's anything wrong with uh purchasing someone's teaching i think that uh, at that point you're not uh you're not necessarily encouraging corruption but but we could be and so we uh we ought to think about you know, what kind of ministries we're donating to. Are they ones that are are uh, upholding this principle? Or are they ones that are skirting this principle? Uh, that's something to consider. And uh, a very practical way you could uh, help advance uh, Christian um, understanding on this issue or a Christian conscience on this issue is to simply uh, order one of the books off the site and, uh, you know, share one with your pastor. Now, it sounds like I'm making a uh, sales pitch there, but uh, <laughs> if you... If you've picked up on what I'm saying, uh, the book is, the book is free. Uh, you can get even the paperback free and the, the, the publisher covers shipping. So it will be, if you're in the U S uh, if you're outside the U S we don't have a way to ship to you just yet. We're working on that. But, uh, if you're in the U S we will ship you the book for free and you can share it with your pastor. So, um, that's a real, uh, that's a real big impact, uh, thing you can do. That's, uh, also pretty easy.
0: I am curious, uh, um, this is kind of somewhat off the topic, Who who is this publisher, First Love Publications? Yeah, sure. I've never so heard of them before.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a group of Reformed Baptist churches. They do a whole bunch of different things. They uh, have missions, they have a university uh, that they're starting up, and they have a publishing arm. And they've been operating this way for uh, quite some time, since 2006. They've been uh, distributing books freely, including the shipping uh, ever since 2006. So when I, uh, yeah, when I wrote this book, they were very happy to, uh, see that someone had articulated a lot of the convictions that they had, but it had never, you know, really written down in, in such a fleshed out way. And, huh. uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good match.
0: Wow. That's a, uh, that's pretty providential. So you, yeah, you had is, essentially codified what they were already operating by. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I hope that they're, uh, I hope they're doing well financially. You know, uh sometimes things
1: get tight, but they uh they just pray harder and uh God works things out, so it's it's uh incredible how merciful and kind he is.
0: He does have a way of doing that. Well, uh how about you uh tell the listeners where they can go to uh, request a copy of the book if they're interested. Yeah, so uh
1: the Dorian org. Dorian is spelled D O R E A N and uh yeah, if you're on Facebook, there's a group called Money and Ministry. Um, uh, go join that, and there's a lot of people there talking about the principle, trying to figure out what it means for certain applications and and so on. So yeah, the thedorianprinciple.org, and uh, yeah, and if you want to order the paper deck back, there's a there's a link there. There's also all kinds of digital formats. There's it's right there on the website, so you can Control F right through it if you want to. Um, there's a PDF, an ePub, a Kindle version, an audiobook. If you have a podcatcher, you can just search uh you can just search for the Dorian principle and you'll be able to uh subscribe to it just like a podcast and listen to it on your commute. And then yeah, and then lastly, of course, the the paperback.
0: Excellent. Well, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners before I ask you one more complete non sequitur of a question?
1: <laughs> uh I don't I don't think there is. No. Um uh yeah i've been i've been trying to do more uh this third time i'm mentioning it, more study of uh, a history of how people have thought about simony and money and ministry and uh yeah i'm trying to collect those thoughts on our facebook page but i don't have any very interesting one well maybe i'll just share you know one i came across recently sure is uh jerome on micah 311 he's got a lot of uh he's got a lot of interesting thoughts um basically arguing that you know priests in the old testament never receive money there are a couple of times in the old testament where you see someone prepare money to give a priest but never uh that they receive it uh in as payment um so one of those times is when Samuel is a excuse me where Saul is preparing money to give to Samuel and it never says that he takes it and another one where uh I think it's Jeroboam's wife, uh, prepares some, uh, goods to give to Ahijah, the prophet. And, uh, anyway, once again, it, these things are interpreted by Gil and by Jerome and by others as being indications of the, the one who's trying to, to, uh, purchase prophecy from the prophet as a sign of their poor moral character, mm. um, and then one example you do have where someone successfully paying a profit is uh Elisha um when he heals Naaman Naaman wants to pay him he refuses but then uh, Gehazi his servant goes and accepts the payment and then oh. Naaman's leprosy is transferred to Gehazi so yeah there's are, are some thought interesting about things about that yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's a pretty direct statement that uh wow that, uh yeah, healings and prophecy and uh even teaching in Micah three eleven uh, ought not be sold. Yeah, Micah three eleven is a real interesting passage. It says um and maybe I'll just uh maybe I'll just pull it up here so I can quote yeah, it for let's, you. Let's let's read it. Uh Micah three eleven says, Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So this is, this is really fascinating because it's talking about uh, these three different groups uh, charging for the, for the holy work that this, they're supposed to do, thinking that the Lord is on their side when actually he's quite displeased with what they're doing. And the three groups are uh, the heads giving judgment, which the heads, you know, these would be judges or uh, basically mini kings, right? What is the king? It's the one who sits over the land and gives judgment. So you have the the princes or the king, uh, the priests teaching for a bribe, and the prophets practicing divination for money. So you have uh, prophet, priest, and king, right? These are the three offices of Christ. Yeah. And uh, and each of them uh charging rather than offering freely, right? Christ offers his gospel freely. It says in Isaiah 55.1, uh, come to the come to the waters. Uh you know, uh, yeah, it talks about purchasing wine and milk without money and without price. Hmm. And so Jesus Jesus offers freely, and yet these people in Micah 3.11 who are representing him by those offices are charging for money, and it's very corrupt. And so we, as we are part of a royal priesthood, right, meaning we are uh, in a way kings under Jesus and priests under him, and no doubt prophecy fits in there too. You know, we are his prophets speaking his word to to people in a, um, in, in some context, right? Like obviously, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in a yeah. continuing <laughs> prophecy in the inspired sense, but, but we sit under him, uh, mim- mimicking these offices in a way. And if we charge for those, for that work, then we are doing precisely what these people were condemned for. And we are misrepresenting Christ who gives these things freely.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Uh, yeah that's that's really cool I'm gonna have to uh, yeah this is this is a lot of stuff I really want to go back and continue wrestling with and and consider fascinating well uh for a non-sequitur question I have to ask do you like switchfoot yes or no
1: uh, uh, yeah yeah I do like switchfoot I saw them once uh, yeah in and in the back of a small barbecue place no joke like i said they were they were doing a concert not just not just saw them eating but they just eating barbecue <laughs> like yeah. oh hey hey
0: Switchfoot. <laughs> when was that how long ago
1: oh that was uh 2006 yeah wow. that was a while ago
0: the heyday yeah that's fantastic <laughs> all right well it was it's really been a pleasure talking to you uh this was great uh really enjoyed reading your book and like i said i want to Continue wrestling with, with this topic So um, Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm kind of Fascinated by, by what you've presented So thank you for coming on and, and Speaking with me and uh, I'll have all those uh, links in the show Notes to, to make it easy for people to check Out what you're doing, check out The book and uh, all to the glory Of God Yeah, you're welcome, thanks for having me on Thanks so much Conley, good to talk to you You too, take care God bless.